0: Do you ever find yourself a little demoralized? Maybe like the rug has been pulled out from underneath you? Or maybe like your energy has been all sucked out? Well, of course you do. Young and old, male and female, because we're human, we all get discouraged. Even the most spiritual, get off your game. Once in a while. Maybe that's why the one cleric said, don't let your worries get the best of you. Remember, even Moses started out as a basket case. (laughs) 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 And I probably shouldn't, but I just have to share one I read. One fellow said, my buddy has been really depressed since his pet dolphin died. His life has no porpoise. (laughs) And that's me and you sometimes. We have lost our porpoise. It seems like we just get discouraged in life. We are in a three-part series on the subject of encouragement, or as the Bible terms it, at least the King James Version, the comfort of God or the encouragement of God. He also uses the word consolation. Nine amazing verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where that word is used 10 times. It is the single greatest passage in all of Scripture, and perhaps the greatest single passage in all of history on how to deal with discouragement and how to pass on that encouragement that god gives us and so uh, let's bow for a word of prayer i hope that you'll join us in the home there don't be taking too many trips to the kitchen now all right Uh, stick with us you might miss just that point that god wants to touch you with and so we're certainly glad you're and i know some are not feeling well and this sickness has got some folks so you just know we love you and we're praying for you all right, let's all bow our heads forward prayer. Father, we do thank you this morning for your grace and for your mercy. God, how I praise you that you are the God of encouragement. And where others cannot do it, you have always come through. Thank you. And I pray that you'll be with us this morning. Bless this great group that's here. Thank you for each one. Lord, they've gotten up, they've. Uh, Assembled, and Lord, that's not easy to world like we live in to do that. And so I pray that you will give them something. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. The book of Second Corinthians, it is uh, a very uh, different book than First Corinthians. Corinth, to whom the book was written to, the believers in Corinth is a small little city on an isthmus in northern Greece. It was a uh, cosmopolitan city. It was a city that uh, had quite a reputation, for sure. And yet, uh, Paul's ministry there as a, an evangelist, as a missionary, and sort of as a pastor, was absolutely phenomenal. He stayed there for 18 months, and God just poured out his blessing on that church. I mean, day after day, week after week, crowds were increasing. It was absolutely incredible. As you might imagine, it caught the eye of some people around. And when people are, when that happens, they're going to start criticizing and saying things. There's going to be some satanic pushback. They begin to... uh, Lie about Paul, thinking that if they could bring the leader down, maybe the whole thing would topple. And so they would say all kinds of crazy things. They said, for example, that he really wasn't qualified to be doing what he was doing. He didn't have their credentials. He wasn't educated like they were. He might even be embezzling. And that's, you may remember Paul. Talked about okay, we're going to send so and so with the money to make sure everybody's good with that, and so they thought that uh, he might be embezzling others. Uh, considered that maybe his marital situation was a little bit weird, and so they accused him of maybe some areas about infidelity, for example. Others said he simply wasn't apostolic enough. I mean, if you were an apostle, you wouldn't be like you are because in your personal presence you're not really that much i mean frankly you don't have that air of authority and uh, you're not presidential enough as they might say then the holy spirit alerts us that there was in particular one demonized person who just made it their mission male or female we're not told but it made it their mission hell-bent on tearing down everything good paul was doing In fact, Scripture goes ahead and just tells him that he was a messenger of Satan. He was going to subvert or she was going to subvert the work of God. As a result of that, the Holy Spirit allowed us to look into the very heart of Paul. He was forced to leave the actual exposition of the word, and he was forced to defend himself. It's not comfortable for most people to talk about themselves. I know it's not for me, especially in a setting like this. You don't necessarily want to lay out all your feelings or your issues. And Paul, same way, it uh, in fact, several times during second Corinthians, he said, I feel like a fool talking like this, but I have to do this. The Holy Spirit inspired him to say these things. And so 2 Corinthians is written through the eyes of a man who is defending his apostleship. He is defending the things of God, and he is encouraging us by saying, here is how I have found encouragement in the midst of all this. Now, many people are surprised to learn that spiritual people sometimes get distressed and sometimes suffer discouragement. According to Pastoral Care Inc, George Barna, the famous uh, uh, pollster and also Fuller Institute, they say that two thirds, um, particularly 57% of pastors that they poll feel fulfilled, but very discouraged and stressed. One third of them, 35% actually battle depression And then a very striking statistics, and this is a pre-COVID statistics, it may be more now, 1,500 pastors, and probably more accurate to say ministers, maybe not all senior pastors, but 1,500 pastors, ministers, leave the ministry each month. Folks, that's a tragic and a terrible thing. Many of it Much of the time, something like Paul there, they're being attacked. Whether it's real or fictitious, they just get stressed out. And then, of course, there's family issues, personal issues. The fact of the matter is, everybody, the point I'm making is that everybody gets discouraged. So how do we comfort ourselves in this kind of a situation? Well, God says, here's how you do it. And he gives us seven very clear ways And this is a passage that, especially as we'll go over some of the verses today, you've got to keep your wits about you because it gets a little bit, uh, seems like, upside down. Seven factors. Number one, we talked about the beginning of comfort last week. What is the origin, the fountainhead, ground zero of encouragement? Look at verse three Blessed be God. There you go. (laughs) I bless God. Now, not just any God. Sometimes people say, well, it doesn't make any difference who you call God or what you think is God. No, God's very clear about it. It does make a big difference. In fact, he clarifies, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Couldn't be more specific. There's only one place you can find comfort, and that is the God of Scripture. And notice what it says. It is, he is the God of all comfort. I drove by a big uh, seductive sign uh, not too long ago. A gal was there with a bottle of some kind of drink, a hard drink, and it said, uh, would you like some comfort? And it was advertising southern comfort. I think it was. Whiskey or whatever it was, but I thought, you know what? Everything about that sign is not going to be comfortable if you go down that way right there. I will tell you, God is the God of all comfort. It's as simple as this. N-O-W, God, no God, no comfort. N-O-W, comfort. N-O, God, no God, no comfort. And so that's the first point. The second point is the basis of comfort. Now, what is the reason or the basis, what is the intention of God giving us comfort? Just so that we can be in our little happy place? Or is there a goal, an objective. Well, uh, he gives us that in verse number four, who comforts us in all of our tribulation. What's the purpose? What's the basis? What's the intention? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Encouragement is not an end in itself, but a means to an end. It is a sacred trust. It is a stewardship. God doesn't give us Godly comfort, just so that we can be happy people. He loves us to be happy. I'm sure that when we're happy, we're uh, it's good for us. I think it's good physically and mentally, emotionally, and for our families. But the fact is, it is not just an end in itself. It is meant to go out there and to be a happy person that takes the gospel to others. And so that's the purpose, the basis of comfort. And now today... Let's get two more of the seven, and then the Lord willing, next week we'll finish this out. The Lord doesn't come back. uh, We will finish it out. And if He does come, folks, I'll still finish it in heaven. All right. All right. So uh, make sure you get your app and get your notes out. Number three the boundaries of comfort. Now, there is a principle here that is absolutely vital to understand, and that is this that God says there is an extent to the comfort that I offer. Let me explain. Look at verse 5. For, now that's a that's a transitional word. For, that means there's something gone before. For, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation ab- also abounds by Christ. Here Paul proclaims boldly, I'm sure much to the chagrin of the me generation god is not obligated to make you happy he is not obligated in any way to make your life easier or to make all of your discomfort goes away he says here god's comfort godly comfort is a gift of his grace now like grace it is of course always unmerited But it is not unconditional. That means there are pre-qualifications. So often I hear people, uh, they trying to magnify the grace of God, I'm sure. But they'll say something like, God's grace is unconditional. And in that, they are absolutely wrong. It is unmerited. Thank God we don't merit His grace. But that does not mean that there aren't something that that to go before grace God says he gives grace to the humble and so there is certainly a condition comfort is the same way yes it's unmerited we don't deserve it he doesn't owe it to us but he very clearly says that to the extent that we suffer not just suffer but to the extent that we suffer for Christ is the same extent that I'm going to give you comfort now A little spoiler alert here, for many of us in the 21st century, especially in the Western world as believers, for us, the extent of our suffering is that we sit in a beautiful auditorium and somehow the sound is a little bit buggy, or maybe the air conditioner goes out and uh, we get a little bit warm, or as it is sometimes in our church, it gets too cold. By the way, blankets are allowed here in the church, just in case you want to know, not space heaters, please leave those home. But uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, we don't really understand comfort, and I don't think we understand uh, how things uh, are not always so easy for the believers. Because as Western world believers, we kind of don't uh, we don't have to endure that too much. Or God forbid, if somebody should sit in my seat, I've been persecuted. Like one wise guy said, people are funny. They want the front of the line, the middle of the road, and the back of the church. <laughs> and, uh, but I will tell you, that's not persecution. If I have to sit in the front row of church, that's not being persecuted, folks. That's being blessed. In an era where the New Testament was set, however, unashamed followers of Jesus were often ostracized, even by their own families. They were marginalized by the community mindsets. And some of the worst persecution came from government and religious leaders who charged with leading people only did so to line their pockets or for some power trip. They loved that control. Sadly, not much has changed, has it? In Acts chapter 5, you can turn there with us. In Acts chapter 5, in first century Jerusalem, not long after the great revival on the day of Pentecost, some false teachers... And some political leaders got all riled up at Peter and John. Why? Because they were spreading what they deemed misinformation. And notice what they said, verse 28. These false teachers and these political leaders saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine, your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Here, they're just taking it to Peter and John. Then, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, by the way, this is a key principle in Scripture. We ought to obey God rather than man. Now, that's a big, big deal right there. Unfortunately, they said, it is necessary then as now That in order to be obedient to God, you must go against man-made regulations and mandates. Let me say that again. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, in order to be obedient to God, I must be a lawbreaker. Strange concept. But here's what God is saying. He is saying you either, sometimes you have to make a choice. Either obey God or man. They didn't like that statement at all. Verse 40. And to him they agreed when they had called the apostles and they beat them. Like a crazy Afghanistan Taliban just beating people for going against their rules. Verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council. Now, here is where it gets crazy. Now, if I had been beaten, if I had been in that situation, I do not think I would be real happy. But notice what it says. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Publicly shamed, arrested, beaten. Normally not what we would call ingredients for joy. And yet, here God's word rings true, as Paul said, The time that I suffer for Jesus, God will meet you with joy. The more you suffer, the more joy. The more things go bad for you, the more things are going to be encouraged. According to a book, The New Persecuted, this book is a book about increasing anti-Christian intolerance. It is a book by Italian journalist Antonio Sochi. It's interesting because in this book, He came up uh, through study with some surprising, tragic facts. Two thirds of all Christian martyrs in the history of the church. We imagine that all the martyrs, you know, were yesteryear. Did you know that two thirds of the Christian martyrs have actually died in the 20th century? Now, we're certainly aware, of course, those who died in Hitler's Germany and Soviet Union but millions have died for the faith in places like Turkey where a million and a half Armenian Christians were murdered. It is estimated that 160,000 Christians have been killed every year since 1990 in countries like Pakistan, Sudan, Algeria, Nigeria, Eritrea, and of course now there's at least 10,000 or more Christians in Afghanistan that uh, unfortunately our administration there, they're left to themselves and you can be sure it is going to be tough now folks Paul said the crazy thing about this all is verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 1 as the sufferings of Christ abound so our consolation will be abounding by Christ that is shocking Jesus also told a shocked audience in Matthew chapter 5 they were gathered on some Judean hills one day uh, 2,000 years ago verse 11 of Matthew 5 blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake verse 12 here it comes again here's what Paul said when you are persecuted you're going to get joy rejoice be exceeding glad for great is your reward Not only in heaven, but there is a earthly reward of joy. This is the longest of all the eight Beatitudes. This is uh, that wonderful, great sermon that Jesus preached. But notice this is the only Beatitude that Jesus personalized. Notice what it says. He said in verse 11, blessed are ye. That's the old English way for you. Blessed are you. Other times it says, blessed are they, blessed are they. This is the one time where he says, blessed are you specifically. That is, those of you who live biblically, those of you who share the gospel, those of you who stand for righteousness, those of you in particular that suffer for Jesus or stand for Jesus, you will also be comforted by Jesus. Reviled, persecuted, Criticized, but you're going to be encouraged. In biblical times, as well as today, people have found that making a public declaration for Christ means pushback, imprisonment, beatings, torture, or even death. But the church rolls on. An early church leader named Tertullian in 200 AD said this, "'Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust.'" But the more you mow us down, the more we grow. For the seed of the church is the blood of Christians. That's a great quote to remember. The more every single drop of our blood springs up, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. That's what Paul told the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3. Be on your guard, he said. Be careful because these people are some nasty people. He said, these Judaizers, these Christless religion, he said, they are some bad dudes. Look at verse eight. I have suffered the loss of all things. It has affected my family. It has affected my health. It's affected my finances. You name it, I have suffered. But I do count it like a bunch of dung. Garbage, he said, because I have one Christ in all of this. There is a closeness to Jesus there is a presence with the Lord. He said, I would do it all again because of that joy that I have received. Now, folks, today in 2021, just like in Paul's day in 41 or whatever it was, there are thousands who suffer daily for Christ. We may not have a evil emperor breathing down our necks like Nero was in Paul's day. Then again, maybe we do, I'm not sure. But I will tell you this, that... uh, fact of the matter is, the more they do, the more God promises to give us joy. Suffering can take many forms. Look what Paul told the Galatians in Galatians chapter one, and verse number 10. He said, if you uh, suffer for Christ, if you stand for the Lord, you just watch what happens. For now, do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. God said the day that you become a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, soul-winning Christian who stands for the Lord is the day that people are going to begin to mock you. And often the crazy thing is the cruelest persecution comes from those who consider themselves spiritual or at least moral. Today we live in a funny day. Christ rejectors living with an air of moral superiority. They say, Well, at least I'm not an intolerant person, or at least I follow the science. Folks, I will tell you if you choose to take a stand for Jesus, righteousness, and truth, you will be forced likely at some point to decide whether I'm going to please God or people. But thank God, if you choose to, choose to serve the Lord, look at verse five again. As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. Meaning, the more we suffer for Jesus, the more the encouragement will come. Jesus powerfully one, warned about this in Matthew chapter 10. Look at Matthew 10, verse t- 33. He said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father which is in heaven. That's a pretty bold statement there. Now let's get the setting of that just so there's no misunderstanding here. The context of that is this. That if you die denying Jesus, then uh, you will not be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. That's the, the bottom line. But it's certainly not a wrong application to say for believers who deny their Jesus... They will not maybe lose their salvation, but they certainly lose their favor of God. And that's what he promises in verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, this is again what Paul said, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. And that's one of the big reasons why I am such a big believer in getting baptized and then becoming a member of a local church. Because that public confession before people. What Jesus said, if you'll confess me before people, then I'll confess to you before God. If I'm not willing to get baptized, if I'm not willing to say I'm joining that church, if I'm not willing to serve God faithfully and get going for God, then I'm going to lose intimacy with Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. Now look at verse five again of second Corinthians chapter one. I want you to notice one little statement there for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. Look at that little pronoun there, us. Notice the, how personal it is, us. Who's, he, who's the us Paul is talking about? Well, verse one, he mentioned Timothy. So he's probably talking about his son, the Lord, Timothy. But I think he's saying all Christians, and Timothy will validate this. Talk to Pastor Tim, he was a pastor. He said, talk to Pastor Tim. He will tell you that every time I've suffered for the Lord, God's joy just came flooding in my soul. Anytime I had to make a stand for the Lord, it wasn't easy, but it just came. It was like a a law of gravity or something. Isaac Newton was a brilliant mathematician, influential scientist of history. He was known for many things, among them his three laws of motion. You may remember the third law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, meaning that when there are opposing factors on an object, the size of the force on the first object equals the size of the force on the second object. Well, let me just kind of uh, take a spin off of that and say, I think there's a law of encouragement. It's the third law that we're talking about today of encouragement. For every stand I take for Christ, I will get an equal and opposite abundant joy from Christ. I suffer for Christ, I get something from Christ. And that's the law. It's the third law of encouragement we're calling it. All right, number four now this morning, the beginning of comfort, the basis of comfort, the boundaries of comfort, and now the benefit of comfort. What? The benefit of comfort? Pastor, how can there be any benefit in suffering? Well, look at verse six. Now, you're gonna have to keep your wits about you. Let's go through this verse. It's a long one. And I must admit, I told Pauline, Pray for me. My head is spinning. Verse number six. And whether we be afflicted. Let me just pause. I'll kind of do some little commentary as we're going through this verse. And whether we be afflicted. We're going to suffer adversities because of being unashamed followers of Jesus. That's a fact. Now the second part. It is for your consolation. Again, encouragement. It has a comforting, encouraging effect. My suffering has an encouraging effect on others. It's amazing. Even, notice what it says, salvation. It's a powerful witness tool. When people see me suffer for the Lord, which is effectual, meaning whether uh, in good times or tough times, there is a benefit, there is a great uh, effect that it has in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer or whether we be comforted. If then God comforts us, he will comfort you too. So really, as it says, it is for your consolation and salvation. Therefore, here's the point. He said, sometimes I suffer. God uses that. Sometimes I don't have to suffer. God uses that. What I've noticed is is that in all the things I do for Christ, God uses it to, it's it's a great tool in helping others. And the great thing is, he said, I began to be encouraged myself, I encourage others. He said, it is a tremendous benefit for the glory of God. Jackie Robinson was the first black person to play Major League Baseball. It wasn't easy he faced many ignorant people. Some players would even stomp on his feet. One day while playing in his home stadium in Brooklyn, New York, he made a very dumb error. And predictably some moron fans began to ridicule him and say nasty things. There he stood second base, humiliated, when shortstop Pee Wee Reese came over, put his arm around Jackie Robinson and stood next to him and looked at the crowd. The stadium grew quiet. They realized that they were way out of line. Jackie Robinson later said he was so full of shame. He said, but it was that moment that saved his career. You know, I think sometimes we're like, jackie robinson we're full of shame for something maybe we didn't do wrong other times we are full of shame for things we did do wrong jesus comes puts his arm around us and sometimes it's in the form of a brother or sister in christ who will bear our shame and will look at this world's and all of their condemnation and say i'm with this person and that's what God gives us the grace to do. And that's what we're to do. Look at verse 7. That's what Paul was saying in verse 6. And look at verse 7. And our hope of you is steadfast. I am confident you are so strong in the Lord. You know it's good to have somebody give you a, a good uh, slap on the back. Knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings. I can't tell you you're not going to suffer brothers and sisters. I can't say it's going to be a walk in the park, a piece of cake. No. But I know this. God is always faithful. Encouragement is on the way. Look at that last part. So shall you be also of the consolation. Here's what I know. God is faithful to come. When you stand for him, God will use you for his glory. Why was he so confident? Because these people were steady Solid. They were veterans of already a lot of pain for Jesus. They had stayed the test of time. Martin and Gracia Burnham were married with great mission work in their hearts and souls. For 17 years, they served faithfully in the land of the Philippines. All three of their children were born there. These people were dedicated. They were effective and sincere. And yet, tragically, on May 27, 2001, while celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary at a beachside resort, Martin and Gracia were taken hostage by a militant terrorist organization with ties to Osama bin Laden. They chained the couple to guards, marched them through the jungles, rationed food, for over a year, you may remember if you were here around then or remember the story, their health deteriorated and yet their health remained sturdy. Martin apparently had a little premonition this wasn't going to end well. He wrote a note to his children that maybe through all of this, God would get glory. And that proved to be accurate. For on June 7, 2002, The Philippine Rangers attacked the terrorist camp. Unfortunately, they were caught in the crossfire. Martin died. Gracia was wounded. How do you begin to say, hey, how can this be for the glory of God? How can this be anything good? But a sovereign God says, all pain for Christ has a purpose. Our problems, our struggles, our heartaches, all can be for God's glory. And that's exactly what David said in the great convicting Psalm, Psalm 50. Psalm 50 and verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Not easy to do always. Sometimes we kind of run from God in the day of trouble. But call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you. What will be the result? You will glorify me. You will glorify me. Not always an easy assignment to live for God's glory through troubles. Consider for a moment the blind man in John chapter 9. There he is on the side of the road. Jesus and his followers passed by. And his disciples had a question. Verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was born blind or was blind from his birth. Verse 2. And his disciples asked him, wrongly by the way, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They kind of had a crazy thinking. Some people kind of have the same idea now, you know, kind of a karma concept. Verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. What? What? They didn't sin? No. That's not why this man is born blind. This man is suffering. Listen. That the works of God should be made manifest in him. Really. A lifetime of darkness. Never had seen his mom or dad. Never had seen a beautiful sunset or sunrise like we've seen lately. Why was this man born blind for the glory of God? It just seems strange. But Jesus didn't back down. He didn't waffle waffle from what he was saying. He was saying, absolutely, this is from God. Now, I'm sure that man probably would have picked another uh, plan in life. He would have picked another goal in life. But God said, that's going to be your ministry. You're going to be born blind for my glory. Imagine for a moment when the Holy Spirit... uh, came to precious virgin mary and said you're going to bear a child you're going to have to suffer from people's bad attitudes but you need to know this is the son of god wow that's a high lofty concept there moses you're going to suffer but you're going to be suffer in a different way you're going to be raised in absolute the most decadent of riches all right I'll suffer, but I'll do it, Jesus. And uh, like one pastor came to my office one time. He wanted to be a missionary. He said, do you think I might be able to share my ministry with your church? I said, well, what is it? He said, I feel like I need to be a missionary on a cruise ship. (laughs) And uh, I said, boy, I tell you what, I'm not sure. But I don't think I could bring that before my church. I just don't think we'd go for it. And uh, I'll suffer on a cruise ship for Jesus. But... Now, Mary and Moses, those were some interesting things for God's glory. But this man, born blind, yes. Wow, I don't understand that. But that was God's plan for him. Consider Mary and Martha in John chapter 11. Mary and Martha were very personal friends of Jesus. He often stayed at their home, ate at their table. When their brother Lazarus became sick, She immediately messaged to Jesus, hey. And she had no doubt in her mind he would come, come quickly, heal him. Because if he would do it for anybody, he'd do it for them. They were personal friends. Look at verse 4, though. When Jesus heard that, though, that's not what he did. He said, no, I'm not going to heal him. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that God might be glorified thereby. Why was Lazarus, why, why was he sick? And why did he end up dying? And of course, Jesus raised him up. But why? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it wasn't because he ate the wrong food. Now, I think you ought to try to eat well. It wasn't because of a lack of exercise. I think you ought to have an eat your good uh, and have, you know, good exercise. But it was none of those things. It was because God was going to use him as his display case. In my office over here, it's a beautiful office, and I'm very grateful. I have kind of a display wall, and cabinet there. They're going to try to get a big, beautiful one for me someday, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I have all kinds of little trinkets, some from Mission Journeys, other places. and But I've noticed that each thing there, you know, the cabinets, the holders the frames they all are really unimportant they kind of add to it but it's what's inside that makes all the difference our lives are just displays for the glory of God amazing how God brings these things we're just God's display cases that's all for the glory of God we take our limitations some of those things in my office aren't so good But you know what? God uses them. He displays our life. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. Paul said to the Christians there, and I this verse always amazes me. For unto you it is given. By the way, that word given is the word granted. I'm going to grant you a special favor, God said. Really? Wow, that sounds great. A special favor from Jesus Himself? Wow, yes. Not only to believe, hallelujah, I'm a believer, but to suffer, wait a second. That's, what I, that's the favor you're gonna give me? Yep, you get a special favor from Jesus, you get to suffer for him. Wow, man. Recently, I uh, had a little health situation, been going on for a while, but it got a little worse and to the point where I'd be laying in bed at night, and I felt like I actually couldn't breathe hardly. It felt like I needed some oxygen. So I, uh, hard for me to ever break down and go to a doctor, but I did. And Actually right now it's kind of challenging to even see a doctor get in there, but I did. And they uh, ran all kinds of tests, x-rays, blood tests, you name it, they did it. They came back and said, everything's clear, your lungs, your heart, your brain. <laughs> everything's clear nothing's in there and uh, the blood tests were all wonderful and so uh, I praise the Lord for that come to find out I guess what was happening was I had been taking a leave for a lot of years all my bone aches and pains about 20 years of taking a leave and it had inflamed my stomach was pushing up on my lungs and I was having a hard time breathing all because of stupid little pills but anyway so uh i uh I don't take those anymore. I just smoke marijuana and uh, but um but uh, I know you've been wondering why I 've been a little happy lately, but uh <laughs> the uh some of you are laughing a little too much because i'm afraid you've been doing that to yourself, but uh <laughs> my point is this: I must admit that. Uh, uh, my mind wondered what's going on, because uh, it was about this age when my own dad uh, we found out had lymphoma cancer, and uh, here was a man who was a wonderful servant of the Lord, a great uh, cheerful man, always just bringing joy to people, and it was so challenging to see him sometimes suffer melancholy because, and much of it was related to his sickness and um, the church. Uh, wasn't able to flourish like uh, it had once had. and Then after his six-year journey of cancer, uh, God took him home, really a relatively young age, uh, in his uh, mid-70s there. And uh, I must admit, uh, I was kind of in the back of my mind wondering, is this, is this my journey? Is this uh, what's happening? But you know, God has a different journey for all of us. And someday... That will be my journey. And it will be your journey. It just happens. But I do know this, that whatever journey we're on, it's for the glory of God. If it's like the Burnhams, if it's like the man born blind, if it's like my father who had cancer or precious Lynette, the fact is, and that's what Paul says in verse 7, our hope of you is steadfast. Second Corinthians seven. Here's our hope. Here's our confidence. Knowing that as We are partakers of the sufferings. Thank God we're partakers of the encouragement as well. Every season of suffering for Christ is to bring glory to him. Paul said, hey, don't be upset at your suffering. Don't be mad at your suffering. I know it's not easy and nobody likes it. and I get that, but the reason you're going through it It's God's gonna get glory. Somehow, some way. Now I don't get it. I don't. I mean, I don't it doesn't make sense to me. But God said, I use glory like a frame, like a like a beautiful display case. The display case begins to kind of fade away, and you see what's there. The Burnhams, my father, you, I, myself. The fact of the matter is, through My problems, Jesus is seen. I close with this uh, story. True story told by colorful storyteller and motivational speaker, Tony Campolo, who reminds us of the power of encouragement. Miss Thompson taught Teddy Stallard in the fourth grade. He was kind of a slow student, unkept, a loner, shunned by the other classmates. Maybe it was because his mother had died the previous year, really had little motivation or backing for school. And she said, frankly, it was not an easy child to like. But at Christmas time, he brought her a small present. Her desk was covered with well-wrapped presents from the other children. But Teddy, his came in a little brown sack. And when she opened it, there was a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. Some of the children began to snicker, but Miss Thompson, who frankly herself had issues of her own, struggled with her own encouragement, saw the importance of that moment quickly she splashed on some of the perfume put on the bracelet pretending that teddy had given her something of the highest value after teddy left miss thompson got down on her knees prayed for god forgiveness for her lack of compassion it was that day that she became a new teacher as the year ended miss thompson didn't hear from teddy for a long time and then she received a note miss thompson I wanted you to be the first to know I am graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, she got another note. Dear Miss Thompson, just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. Wanted you to be the first to know. University has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. Six years later, Dear Miss Thompson, now by this time she was much older, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? Wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, and I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat were she alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. And Ms. Thompson went to that wedding She sat where Teddy's mother would have sat, and God got the glory for that life of encouragement. She let God use her as an instrument of encouragement. Oh, that God would let us see the purpose of our pain and would let us be his display case to bring others to salvation. If I were to ask you, are you 100% sure that you are a born-again Christian? If I were to ask you that are listening, are you sure, 100%, that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? And my friend, the greatest thing you can do is say yes to Jesus. And that's exactly why he wants us to be here today, is to say yes to him and to his precious grace. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer, if you would, please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.